you'd like to be uh, turning in your Bibles, we're going to be in 2 Timothy 4. Uh, if you do not have a Bible, there are a, there's an assortment on a table out in the foyer. You're welcome to grab one, write your name in it, and uh, have it in perpetuity. Um, so we are uh, closing out this, this letter from Paul to Timothy. Uh, and this is what may be Paul's last chance to speak to this, to this young man that he has poured his life into. Essentially, Paul considered Timothy to be his child in the faith. And so Paul has spent this time urging Timothy to continue in, in his faith, to continue doing his best to be a worker approved by God, to be an honorable and useful vessel. And, and especially over the last couple of weeks, he's urged him to resist the, the false teachers that were there in that church. And instead of taking the easy path to preach the word, to endure suffering, to do the work of an evangelist and fulfill his ministry. And specifically, Paul is calling Timothy, as he does that, to follow the pattern of his own life, to follow Paul's pattern. That's what he said in in 1 Corinthians 11. He said, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. But as much as Timothy has done well to follow Paul to this point, as much as Paul has been there for him, Paul's at the end of his ministry. He's at the end of his life. Any day now, he is going to be taken outside of the city and beheaded. He's going to die. And his living example will be removed from Timothy's life. And so this letter carries a huge amount of weight from Paul into Timothy's life. Um, So I'm actually going to to pick up back in uh, chapter 4, verse 3, just to do a little bit of introduction here. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Titius I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him 
be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with you. Be, be with your spirit. Grace be with you. So three things. Three things to note here about Paul's life. And I'm very excited because they all start with the letter S. This doesn't happen very often, so I get really excited when it does. Um, so Paul was sent, Paul was spent, and Paul is safe. So if we look back at, at Acts 9, we see the calling of the man who was then called Saul, but is now called Paul. And if you remember, we have that encounter with Christ on the Damascus Road, right, where, where Paul is knocked off of his horse to the ground by this bright light, um, and, and he encounters the risen Christ. And that encounter happens for a particular reason. God says in, uh, in Acts 9, 15, uh, that Paul is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So Paul has been sent. He said as much in, in, in 2 Timothy 1, 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. So he is a messenger who has been sent out to carry God's word to the Gentiles. And, that's, and, and he reiterated that in, in verse 17 that we just read. Um, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So Paul recognizes that he has been saved and he has been sent out with this one purpose in mind, to bring the good news about Jesus to the rest of the world. So, so Paul, who was a Jew, to his mind, the world was basically fell into two classes or two categories. Jew, so the people who were, who were Jewish, the descendants of Israel, and then the Gentiles, which was everybody else. And so Paul was sent specifically to bring this message to the Gentiles. And it was a huge task, right? This is an absolutely monumental task that we are still carrying on today. Right? This is, so this is a tremendous life work, and Paul ultimately wasn't up to it. You know, he, he didn't have the strength, he didn't have the capacity, he didn't have the capability to be able to do this. But what was it that he said? The Lord stood, stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed. So God sent Paul to do this work. And then also provided Paul with everything that he needed to be able to actually accomplish it. Um, and so all throughout that first imprisonment, all throughout his missionary journeys, every time that Paul got arrested and hauled in front of some official, what did he do? He didn't beg, he didn't plead, he didn't reason. He preached the gospel. That was what he did. He treated everything as an opportunity to preach the gospel. Because that was what he was sent to do. He was sent as a messenger to proclaim the gospel. But as he was being sent, he was also being spent. Uh, so in, in the first few uh, verses that, that we read, um, there's a contrast, right, between what Paul is calling Timothy, between what Timothy has been called to do, 
it, with his own future and then with where Paul is, right? Timothy has this, this bright future of ministry ahead of him. Paul is calling him, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. But then in contrast to that, Paul says of himself, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. So that drink offering was an Old Testament reference, right? It was water or, or wine, and they would just pour it out on the ground, right? Used up. You, you can't use that again. You can't use it for something else after you've poured it out. And so Paul is facing death. He is pour, facing having his blood poured out on the ground for the sake of the elect. Uh, now, he uses this, um, this analogy in, in Philippians 2, uh, where he says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a cro crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So if Paul is being poured out as a drink offering, if he is being used up, he's glad of it. He's happy about it. And he rejoices with whom uh, for whom he is poured out. He is proud. He's happy that their faith is the result of his life being used up, being spent, being taken from him. And in the end, he is honoring Christ's command, right? To take up your cross. In, in Luke uh, 9.23, Jesus said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So following Jesus, following Christ can be costly. Right? It cost Paul his, his position. Paul had a fantastic life as a, as a leader, as a Pharisee, within the, the, the people of Israel. But his decision to follow Christ, to preach the gospel, cost him that. It cost him some of the people that were closest to him. Demas and Alexander just mentioned here, right? Uh, Demas and some of the earlier letters that Paul wrote, Paul thought very highly of him. And essentially, Demas has deserted him at this point. But again, this is what Christ said would happen in Matthew 10, 34, he said, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So he has walked away. He has left behind all of the things 
that were previously so important to him. So why would he do that? Why? In Philippians 3, 7, he wrote, Whatever gain I had, so whatever I had before that I left behind, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his, his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So Paul has looked at what his faith in Christ would mean. Reconciliation with God, resurrection, eternity in glory with the Father. So he looks at that. And then he looks at what it costs. It costs him everything. It cost him everything that he had in this world. And he says, it's worth it. It's worth it without contest, without doubt. It's worth it for me to lose my job and my social standing if I have Christ. It's worth it for me to be shipwrecked and abandoned and beaten. It's worth it for my blood to be poured out on the ground as a drink offering. If, if that means that I get to know Christ and if it means that I get to tell other people about him. Now, he had told the elders of the church in Ephesus as much when he left them, back in Acts 20. Right? He said, I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So Paul was spent, but he was joyful that his life was being used up for kingdom purposes. So Paul was sent, he was spent, and lastly, Paul was safe. In chapter 4, verse 18, he said, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. So this is... This is something different than safety here on this earth, right? Uh, Jesus promised his followers in, in John 16 uh, that in this world we would have tribulation. We would face trials and dangers and persecution. But what came right after that? But take heart, I have overcome the world. So Paul does not place his hope in being delivered from, from suffering or being delivered from death in this life any more than he placed his hope in that comfortable life that he had before. Because he gave up that comfortable, easy, safe life here on this earth when he fell before God on the road to Damascus. And so what was his life like after that? 
It says in 2 Corinthians 11, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. So are these the actions of a man who is seeking comfort? Is this the life of a man who is looking for the easy life? Are these the actions of a man who believes that, that, that this life is more important than anything else? No. These are the actions of a man who believes that no matter how rough things are, no matter how much it is that he has to give up, no matter how much it is that he has to endure, he serves a king who will see him safely into his kingdom. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to be delivered from all this here and now. But if you are, if you are subjected to pain, subjected to suffering, Subjected to death, all for the sake of the king who is coming, then how great is that reward going to be from that king when he has finished his conquest and defeated sin, defeated pain, defeated death, and utterly destroyed all of them? How great is that reward going to be? That's the crown of righteousness. Right, that he talked about um, in verse 8, when he said, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the, light, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So there is this crown of righteousness, this great reward that is being stored up for Paul. And not just for Paul, but for everybody who looks forward to the coming of Christ as the fulfillment of all of their hopes and dreams. Now that reward isn't reserved. It's not laid up for the people who have lived perfect lives, which is good news, right? It's not laid up for those who have led pretty good lives. It's not laid up for those who have done more good than bad with their lives. But, it's, but that reward is there for those who have loved Christ and are looking forward eagerly to his return. It says in Hebrews 9 that uh, Christ has been offered once to bear the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. And so Paul eagerly waits for the return of Christ, knowing knowing that his true reward is not in this present life. It's not in what he can achieve or what he can have right now, but his reward is in that life to come. And he trusts in the return of Christ above everything else. He wrote in Romans 14 that if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. So even though Paul is spent and poured out, he is safe. He is safe 
because he knows that his life is not in the hands of the executioner who is going to swing the sword, but his life is in the hands of his Savior, in the hands of a good and loving God. So just like Paul, we too are sent. Right? We've been sent into this world to accomplish a certain work. Right? Summed up in, in, those, in those three words that we've seen lots of different places over the last few months here. Love God, love others. Those are the, the first and second greatest commandments that Jesus highlighted. And then the command to make disciples, to teach other people how to love God and how to love others. And as we are sent out into the world to do those three things, we are to be spent. Our lives are to be spent. Uh, Hunter Thompson wrote that life should not be a journey to the grave with the intention of arriving safely in a pretty and well-preserved body, but rather to skid in broadside in a cloud of smoke, thoroughly used up, totally worn out, and loudly proclaiming, wow, what a ride. Now, he had a different point that he was making with that quote, uh, but I think that it applies, right? It applies to our lives as Christians because we should have that same sort of attitude in our pursuit of God and in our pursuit of the work that he has called us to do. So our lives shouldn't be wasted. They shouldn't be selfishly spent, but they should be invested and invested lavishly in loving God, invested lavishly in loving others and spent freely in making disciples. Because to keep something back, to hold something back from that work is to say that that thing that I am holding back is more important than the kingdom. To keep something back, to hold it in reserve and say, no, I'm, I'm going to hang on to this. I'm not going to use this in pursuit of the kingdom is to say that that thing that you are holding on to is more important than the king. So we too if we are sent and if we are spent, then we are safe. If we too love the appearing of Christ, then we will be seen safely into his kingdom. We are not safe from trials and suffering. We are not safe from sickness, but we are safe in the knowledge that the suffering that we endure is not meaningless but it is being used to shape us and to shape the people around us and, and, and to give glory to God, calling us to faith in the one who suffered for us. In Romans 8, it says that, um, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So if we too love God, we can safely rest, knowing that even when it doesn't make any sense from a human perspective, that he is working the world for our good and for his glory. If, if we love Christ. If we love Christ, 
if we have placed our hope and our faith in who he is, then we too will be seen safely into his kingdom. So you have been sent. You have been sent to love God. You have been sent to love others. And you have been sent to make disciples in this particular place at this particular time. So where is it that you have been sent? Because there is a specific group of people in this world for whom you are the single best person to reach them with the gospel. You may be the only person who is equipped to reach them with the gospel. So I would urge you today to consider where it is that you have been sent. And what is it? What does it look like for you to live out those commands in that context, in that place that you have been sent? So you have been sent. Now, are you going to respond like Paul did and embrace that sending wholeheartedly? Are you going to say yes? Absolutely. It's worth it. It's worth it. Or are you going to respond like Jonah did initially? Right? Remember Jonah? Got sent. Said, I don't want to go where you're sending me. And so he went the other way. There's the fish and the whole... And, and where did Jonah end up? Jonah ended up right exactly where God had told him to go in the first place. So will you respond like Paul? Or will you respond like Jonah? You have been sent, and you will be spent. Because you are spending your life. You are spending your time, your treasure, your energy, your attention. That's a big one today, attention. You are spending your attention on something. Will the thing that you are spending your time, your energy, and your attention on end up being worthwhile in the last day? Will it be something that you will look at and say, yes, that was a worthwhile investment of my time. That was a worthwhile investment of my energy. You have been sent. You will be spent. Are you safe? Will you be seen safely into the heavenly kingdom? Do you love his appearing? To use the, the, the words that Paul used here. If you wish to have the security of knowing that you are safely in that kingdom, if you desire to have your life poured out as a drink offering, if you long to be sent somewhere with a purpose, call of Christ is clear. In Mark 1.15, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So contrary to what the world says, true purpose in life, a purpose that is worth being poured out for, a purpose that, that isn't going to be found in your career, in your family, in money, in power, in sex, drugs, rock and roll. You can set out to... to in pursuit of temporary satisfaction from all of these things. And you can even pour yourself out in honor of them. But none of them, none of them will guarantee you a reward that is worth your whole life. 
and none of them will bring you safely into the Lord's heavenly kingdom. The only thing that will do that is Jesus Christ. And he calls us to have faith in him, to believe in him, to love him, to follow him, and to serve him, and to preach him, to tell the world about him, to teach about his perfect life and death in our place. And ultimately, his resurrection victory over death itself and his soon return. Now, Paul was looking forward to that day because he knew that that day meant nothing but glory for him. Paul was looking forward to that day. Are you? Because if not, then friends, today is the day. Today is the day for you to place your hope and your faith and your trust in him and in him alone. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this good news, God, that, that we are no longer bound in sin, that we are no longer slaves to sin if we will leave our sin behind, if we will repent of our sin and trust in you. So God, I, I do I repent of my sin. I want to leave it behind and I want to follow you faithfully. God, I haven't done a good job of it so far. By comparison. But Father, I want to follow Christ. And I ask God that you would give me the heart, that you would give me the mind, that you would give me the strength that I need to follow him today better than I did yesterday and to follow him better tomorrow than I'm able to today. And God, I do look forward to the return of Christ. I do look forward to his appearing. God, I look forward to the day when, when I'm able to see clearly, not dimly, and God, I look forward to that day when sin is gone and death is done. Father, for you have overcome. And I love you for it. We praise you. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd ask you to stand with me as we sing the doxology, as we reflect on the words that have been shared to us and the challenge for each of us to go out from here and to live the lives that Jesus has called us to live and proudly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me as we share the doxology this morning? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him.
The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Go in peace.